Hi, I'm Brett Robinson. Welcome to the Redeeming Hope Podcast, where we share biblical truths that'll give you real hope. What is real hope? It's a hope that is relevant, energizing, authentic, and linked to Jesus. G'day friends, thanks for joining me today. Today I'm going to pick up on a theme which um, I had spoken about previously about walking in faith. Before I do, let me give a shout out to my dad who for the last two podcasts shared on our position in Christ. And really the two themes are completely linked. How do we know that we are walking by faith? How do we know that we are positioned in Christ, that we are positioned in his anointing, in his power, and in his strength. Well, when I started this theme, I said, just like if we undertake to go on a long journey, we know we are on the right path, on the right road, because we follow a map, or because we look for signposts. And in our faith journey with God, we too have to look for signposts that show us we are where we are meant to be. That really is our position. We know we're positioned in Christ because we follow the signposts that the Word of God gives us. So today I want to talk to you about entering into the rest of God. Because in order for us to walk by faith, friends, we have to learn to enter into God's rest. If we don't enter into God's rest, then we end up in a place of striving in our own strength that causes us to become worn out and burnt out. And how many of you know that when you get into that place, you're not much good to anyone? (laughs) So we want to know how to enter into God's rest. So what does the word of God say about this? Well, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 and 10, It says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Now let me say at the outset that entering into God's rest is not doing nothing. (laughs) Some people may think, well I'm just going to enter God's rest And therefore, it's all up to him. I'm just going to sit back and wait and watch and see. Friends, that's not acting in faith. Jesus is our example of faith in action. And surely, if anyone entered into God's rest, it was Jesus. But Jesus certainly did not do nothing. He waited on God. He heard from God, and then he acted on what the Father told him to do. And this is the same principle that we need to put into action in our lives in order to enter into God's rest. We have to seek God out. We have to seek him out in his word, seek out his presence in worship and in prayer, hear from him, and then act on what he tells us to do. So in order for us to enter God's rest, we are also given something to do. 
as a matter of fact, in verse 14 of that same chapter in Hebrews, we get some further insight. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So I'd like to speak to you about holding firmly because it's an important principle for us to grasp so that we know how to enter into the rest of God. I'd like to tell you a quick story. So we have three dogs and at the end of almost every day, we love to take the family and the dogs for a walk in a lovely big park that overlooks a valley near our house. So some enterprising person decided to uh, put up some lovely big um, swings for the kids who go and walk in the park. And I'm not talking about tiny little swings mounted on gun poles. No, no. These guys were really brave and they climbed higher in this huge tree than I would certainly have the courage to climb. And from the huge big branch in this tree, they hung this long long strap with a loop at the bottom so when Gabe and I first walked past and he saw the strap he was like dad dad will you push me on the swing so at first he tentatively got his foot in the bottom of the strap and stood up tall and held on to the strap and I pushed him gently but as he realized what fun it was and his confidence rose you can guess what happened next <laughs> I had to push him harder and he swung further and man, this strap was carrying him up so high he could probably look over a greater part of the whole valley and of course, he absolutely loved it. But a key part to his enjoying the swing was him holding firmly onto that strap. Now, Gabriel couldn't actually swing himself by, by himself on the swing. It's just too big for him to get any kind of momentum. What he could do is get himself into it, stand up tall, and hold on tight. And friends, it's like that when we come to God as well. We can't get our own momentum, but what we can do is we can see the opportunity in God's word and in his promises and in his presence. We can come to him and say, Father God, will you help me as I take a stand on this word? We can stand up tall on, this, on the words that he gives, which is exactly what he encourages us to do in Ephesians 6. And then we can hold on tight to his word. And when we engage with him in worship and in prayer and in thanksgiving, and we declare the praises of God, the Spirit of God begins to give us the momentum that we need to see further and to enjoy the journey that He puts us on. Well, I'd like to pose the question here. How do we enter God's rest when we're faced with a problem? Maybe some of you listening are facing a problem, a huge challenge, a test or a trial, even right now. It's all very well to talk about God's rest when we feel restful, when everything's going our way. 
<laughs> but what about when it's not? Well, I'd like to look at two separate occasions in Moses' life when he was faced with a seemingly impossible task. In fact, this task was producing sufficient water in the middle of a desert for the entire nation of Israel. Some people have speculated that there could have been about a million people. I'm sure you would agree. This was a big problem that Moses was faced with. And he faced this challenge not once, but twice. The first occasion we find in Exodus 17. And the people are complaining to Moses that they don't have water to drink. So Moses goes to God and he seeks God. And God tells Moses to go up to this rock and to strike the rock with his staff. And that when he did, that water would pour out of the rock and be sufficient for the needs of the people and all their flocks and herds. So the scripture is actually painting a prophetic picture of the coming salvation, which would one day come through Jesus. You see, Jesus prophetically was the rock that was struck. The water inside that rock was actually hidden from sight. No one would have known standing just looking at it, what was inside it, the provision that was inside it, the blessing that was inside it. And you know that Isaiah said of Jesus in Isaiah 53 and verse 2, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So too Jesus was hidden in plain sight. It took a God-given faith for people to recognize who he was. The provision and the blessing that God had put in Jesus to meet every need. And this is why Jesus said to his own disciples, And who do you say that I am? He said it because they needed to see for themselves. They needed to understand. And friends, sometimes in the busyness of life, we too can overlook the provision that God has made for us in Jesus. The busyness of life and the needs and the demands of life can obscure God's provision. We have to look with the eye of faith to see what God has done for us, whom God has given us, and to look to Jesus. In the story with Moses, God told him to strike that rock with his staff. And Jesus was struck with the judgment and punishment for sin that we deserved. The water that gushed from the rock that day represented life for those people. It saved them. Without that fresh water, they faced certain death. And the water that gushed 
from the rock of Jesus, the rock of our salvation, is eternal life for us. It's living water. It's healing for us, body, soul, and spirit. It represents our redemption in this life. But you know that a little bit later on in Moses' journey with the Israelites through the desert, Moses comes to the same point again. He has to face that same point of need. And again, the Israelites are crying out, whining, grumbling and complaining to Moses about the fact that there is not sufficient water. Again, Moses goes to God. And again, God speaks to Moses. But this time, there's a difference. Whereas before, God told Moses to strike the rock. This time, God tells Moses to speak to the rock. Unfortunately, Moses and Aaron were disobedient to God. And instead of speaking to the rock, as God said, Moses took his staff and he struck the rock twice. Why? Why would Moses and Aaron have done this? And what lesson can we learn so we don't make the same mistake in our lives? Well, I believe that possibly they failed to see the trap of the enemy due to a couple of factors that were wearing them down. Stress. They had about a million people who had this huge, real and imminent need. Water. And there was none. They were in the desert. This caused a buildup of worry, pressure, doubt, fear, maybe some resentment, frustration, and all this caused weariness. Maybe some of you know what it feels like to feel weary by carrying those same things. So when Moses heard God's instruction that day, those things, I believe, made Moses and Aaron dull in their faith. And it caused Moses to hit out in the flesh instead of speaking out in faith. Have you ever hit out in the flesh when you've been weary instead of speaking out in faith? You see, that can easily happen to any of us, which is why it's so important to learn the secret of entering into the rest of God. At that time, when Moses was feeling that way and he wasn't operating in faith, he defaulted, I believe, back to what he knew. What was easy? What was familiar? Maybe he caved to public pressure. Can imagine the people around Moses. Hey, Moses, what are you doing just standing there? Hey, Moses, hit the rock already. We're thirsty. Yes, Moses, just hit the rock. That's what worked last time. Perhaps Moses remembered back and thought, man, I stood in front of the Red Sea. I struck it with the staff and it opened. 
The last time I hit the rock with my staff, it gushed forth with water. I'll just do the same thing again. And it's a temptation for all of us to default back to what's worked for us in the past without relying on God. It takes effort to seek God, to wait on God, and to then step out in faith, in obedience to God. Even Jesus relied on the Father to daily lead and guide him. Jesus' methods changed as a result, but the results of his methods stayed the same. Why did God command Moses to strike the rock the first time, but to speak to the rock the second time? <clears throat> well, as we've said, the rock pointed prophetically to Jesus, the rock of our salvation, who would be struck once for the forgiveness of all sin for all time. Jesus would not be struck again for those same sins. The price and the penalty for our sins was paid once by Jesus for all time. And from the time of Jesus onwards, we receive our salvation by a verbal declaration of faith in Jesus. Which is why I believe God told Moses to speak to the rock on that second occasion. And Romans 10 and verse 13 gives us some insights into this. And it reads, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. There's something about speaking out in faith, calling on God, that kills the flesh. It causes us to look past what we can do in our own strength and causes us to look to God as the sole source for our provision, our protection, our salvation, our healing, our deliverance. When we call on the name of the Lord, it makes us accountable to Him. When we call upon God based upon His promises, it makes us accountable to His Word and His truth. And it makes us aware that we are completely reliant on God and not the strength of our own arm. Moses striking the rock in Numbers 20 represents what we do in our own strength. And acts of the flesh do not please God. It takes faith to please God. Moses allowed himself to be driven by the whining, grumbling and complaining of the people instead of being led by the Spirit of God. And we can be driven by the weariness of our flesh, even the lust of our flesh. And when we're driven by those things, we don't operate in faith. Which is why we have to put the flesh down and look to God, trusting in Him and be led by what He tells us to do. By contrast, when we operate in this principle of acknowledging God, 
operating in thanksgiving, which honors God, it stirs up our faith and gives us the courage that we need to be obedient to God. Moses' disobedience closed the door for him to enter the promised land. But when we operate in faith, it opens doors that no man can shut. Faith paves the way for us to enter the promised land, overcome the enemy, and live in the fullness of the blessing of the Lord. Like Moses, we too will be faced with the temptations of the flesh. Are we going to focus on discontent? What we don't have? What's gone wrong? And who's let us down? It's tempting, but if we do those things, they will become a trap for us that will prevent us from entering God's rest. And Galatians 6 9 gives us this encouragement. And don't allow yourselves to be weary in planting good seeds. For the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. Take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others, especially to our brothers and sisters in the family of faith. Wonder what a wonderful principle for us to apply. When we're in need ourselves and we're trusting on God, you know, there's nothing better to activate our faith than to look around and see whom we can be a blessing to and what we can do for others. Don't become weary in doing good. Don't become weary in planting good seeds. Let's learn from Jesus' own example for us. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 it says, For the joy set before him he endured. For the joy set before him. Friends, we got to put joy before us to endure the trials and tests and difficulties of this life. If we're going to finish strong, if we're going to walk in faith, if we're going to know our position in Christ. How do we do that? We focus on Jesus. Let's choose to set our focus on his many great and precious promises, on his faithfulness, on his goodness, and by remembering the many wonderful things he has done for us. In this way, we will lift our hearts, lift our vision, and be able to give ourselves with joy to what God has called us to do. And this will also cause us to be a blessing to our spouse, our children, our parents, our friends, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. If Jesus had to set the joy before him in order to endure, then we have to do the same as well. I know it's easy to get down, to get bogged down by the weighty things of this world. We have to cast those things off. Let's not make the same mistake that Moses and Aaron did, which caused them to become dull in their faith and to miss out on the blessing that God had planned for them. 
Let's cast off those weights, those sins, those things which weigh us down and so easily entangle so that we can run with endurance the race that God has marked out for us. I want to say to you, friends, that you can do it. Take encouragement this day, knowing God is with you. He is for you. He has put his divine gift of faith in your hearts. Rise up with thanksgiving in your heart. Put your focus on him and you will run with endurance. You will complete the race that he has set before you. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. I pray that the message of God's word will build your faith and develop a hope that is so strong it's like an anchor for your soul. Go ahead and subscribe and why not share the message with a friend?